Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're talking about The Perfect Crimes of Marion Hayes by Kat Sebastian. This was published in 2022 and is the second book in the Queer Principles of Kit Web series. And full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary copy of the book. And we did review the first book, which was called The Queer Principles of Kit Web. That's correct. So uh, if you're interested in hearing Kit's story, that was last month, maybe two ago. Yeah. I mean, don't you think it would have been a better series name if it was like the Regency Robin Hoods or something? And I, I fully understand this is a Georgian set book. However, I couldn't think of an alliteration for Georgian right off the top of my head. Yeah. I don't know. I just feel like calling it the Queer Principles of Kit Web series is like kind of long and this book isn't about Kit. Correct. Anyway, whatever. It's fine. So the jacket. Marion Hayes, the Duchess of Clare, just shot her husband. Of course, the evil, murderous man deserved what was coming to him, but now she must flee to the countryside. Unfortunately, the only person she can ask for help is the charismatic criminal who is blackmailing her, and who she may have left tied up a few hours before. A highwayman, con artist, and all-around cheerful villain, Rob Brooks is no stranger to the wrong side of the law or the right side of anybody's bed. He never meant to fall for the woman whose secrets he promised to keep for the low price of 500 pounds, but how could he resist someone who led him on a merry chase all over London, left him tied up in a seedy inn, and then arrived covered in her husband's blood and in desperate need of his help? As they flee across the country, stopping to pick pockets, drink to excess, and rescue invalid cats, they discover more true joy and peace than either has felt in ages. But when the truth of Rob's past catches up to him, they must decide if they are willing to reshape their lives in order to forge a future together. Good jacket. I was going to say this jacket is A+, plus, very good. It's exactly what you're going to read. And the hook is excellent. That first line really catches you. Uh-huh, absolutely. Slow clap for this book jacket. It's really good. No, 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 uh, no comment or critique. <laughs> no notes. No notes. That's what I wanted. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> so, uh, as usual, we generated a random number and then wrote our own summary using that number as a word count. And this week, that number is 36. So, I will start. Kind of weird that the origin story of the Merry Men is book two in this series, but whatever. Blackmail's turned epistolary romance is going to result in the life of crime and hookups and found family. I mean, yes, that's actually kind of perfect, perfect synopsis as well, Lane. Thank you. What was yours? All right, here's mine. Marianne is the grumpiest grump to ever grump, and Rob is her cheery sunshine. These characters are the perfect match, and watching them interact almost made me overlook the fact that the plot is basically non-existent. Yep. Yep. That's my review of this book. It was fun. I, I love Marion and Rob together. They're a great couple. I think they're amazing. There are so many things I love about the characters. Yes. The plot, however, like, I'm not kidding when I tell you that I, there is no plot. Yeah, and the little bit that is there is sort of frustratingly nonsensical. <laughs> 
Like, I really wanted to understand why people were behaving the way they were behaving and did not. Yeah. All right. So, okay, let's talk about the plot of this book, which is, it, I don't, there's nothing that's going to be spoiled for you. Because, again, there's nothing that happens in this book that was not already revealed in the official synopsis. Yep. Unless, so, like, you count spoiler alert, they end up together. Yeah, I mean, surprise. <laughs> um, so the, the book opens, as the book jacket says, when Marion, um, so in the Queer Principles of Kit Webb, the end of that book, what happens is Marion kills her husband, the, the Duke of Clare. She returns home covered in his blood. He dies, like, just after they arrive at home, at her home. And then she's like, I got to get out of here. No. Okay, what happens then? He gets shot. Yeah. And they take him back to her house, and she has no idea if he's going to live or die. And she doesn't know if anyone saw her, so she immediately flees, having no idea if he's made it or not. She's pretty sure he's going to die. She like, thinks he's probably going to, but she's more concerned with, did anyone see me? Well, I think really what, what happens is she's in shock. She doesn't know what she's doing. She's, right. she's not making logical decisions at this point. So whether he lives or whether he dies it does not matter because she's like, I got to get out of here. And absolutely, but she doesn't sit there and watch him die. Like part of the plot is the uncertainty. She doesn't know what happened to him. Yes, she does not sit and watch him die. Um, so she runs away and as the book jacket says, the only person she can think of who might help her is the person who was blackmailing her and who she left tied up in a bed. And she doesn't, it's not intentional. Like she doesn't go seeking his help. She goes to make sure she lets him out before she flees and he's let himself out and kind of realized that she needs help. Yes. It's a very cute start. It's very cute start. And I realized that I did not mention how this book actually starts, which is through blackmail notes. And okay. it's so cute. I thought you were going somewhere else. We need to back up. Tropes. Okay. Okay. Sorry, guys. Road trip romance? That's definitely number one. Mm-hmm. They stop at various coaching inns um, and stables and then have to go back to the way they came and go back to London together. That this time in a carriage, and there are lots of the tropes you would associate with that. Fully 90% of this book is them traveling somewhere. Yeah. Like, I'm not kidding. You know, it was one good. or the other of them, or both of them traveling. Yep. And there's the, you know, stripping in front of you, and she's just bathing behind a screen, or he's just bathing behind a screen, and because of their, you know, claims and the reasons they're telling people they're traveling they need to share a room all of that comes up in the course of this road trip and of course sometimes there's only one bed and yeah sadly it doesn't usually get sexy the one bed yeah no it takes a while for it to get sexy it does uh there are inheritance shenanigans which you know about if you read the first book Yep. I'm, gonna tr I'm gonna try not to spoil what's what can what can be spoiled, but there's very little that can be spoiled if you read the first book. Yeah. So same deal. Um, Robin, Robin, Rob was blackmailing Marion and her best friend slash stepson Percy, 
for to keep the secret that they were both illegitimate because the Duke had a secret first wife by whom he bore a son. Mm-hmm. You learn in the first book that son is Rob. There's there is very little here. Yeah, yep. it's just the first book sort of told from two different characters' perspectives and a little later. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. Um, and there may or may not be a strong family resemblance. So even if Rob wanted to hide his connection with the former Duke, it's tough to do. Always. Always. Uh, and usually put in, oh my God, pants, but Marion wears pants a lot. However, there is a scene of, oh my God, leather pants. Uh, yeah. I love it, so, actually. Yeah. I mean, like, duh, leather pants, yes. <laughs> and I mean, he wears leather pants, too. He does. Okay. Um, oh, yes, animals can sense if you're a good person or a bad person. Animals and uh, old people with dementia. Yeah. Okay, so the pros of this book, the pro, the, the pro of this book is their relationship. Their relationship is amazing. I loved the Black Bell Notes to start the book. Oh my God, so that good. Was so good. I was, this book, the lack of sexiness for a while was forgiven because of how good the letter writing was. It was so great. It was so great. I mean, you really felt these people were a good match just through their notes to each other. Discussing crimes that they were committing against each other, correct? Yeah, I mean, just being mean to each other in these notes, but also somehow mean in a way that you could tell they would be good together. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're great. No, they're perfect. Absolutely. Then once they get together, uh, I just loved the emphasis on consent. And I'm not just talking about in the bedroom, although that, right. of course, is very important. But maybe I shouldn't say consent. Maybe I should say the emphasis on boundaries. Yeah. Setting and respecting boundaries. Which is funny because, like, she tells him she's kidnapping him. But he's clearly going along willingly. And the conversations they have about, like, do you want me to stay? Do you want me to rob this person for you? Like, it's all very out in the open. Yeah. Right. And I mean, I think that's what's amazing about them together. Yeah. Is how you, how you can, this is what Kat Sebastian does really well. You feel their compatibility. You're not, it's, it's, it's shown, not told. Absolutely. And this is, I will give her the credit here too. This is one of those books where you're told they have a really good repartee, but it's demonstrated. You are shown it far more than you're told it. Yeah. They're, they're, they're great together out, outside of the bedroom. And then another thing that works really well is they have sort of complementary kinks. Mm-hmm. And I think she does it well here, too, where she doesn't use kink as therapy. Right. Or, you know, this is why this person is the way he is. They just happen to be very compatible in the bedroom. Yep. You know, and I mean, yes, Marianne has certain hangups about what she likes and what she doesn't. But you also get the feeling that that's just the person that she is. With a little bit of sexual trauma thrown in. Well, yes. Yeah. And then I, 
I really loved the how they got over the hurdle of his inheritance. A plus, I loved it. I thought it was going to be this whole thing. I thought that's what the conflict of this book was going to be, was this, you kept a secret from me, and now I can't get over it, and blah, blah, blah. No. Nope. She's like, it, I get it. If we're being honest, this book has no conflict. I mean, yeah, let's be completely honest here. The conflict is basically, how are we going to end up together? And the resolution is, let's talk about it like mature adults and decide that we have a shared vision for the future and pursue it. And there's no recognition that there's no actual obstacles standing in our way by, beyond our own heads. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're the princess and the pea because we would have been so pissed off if the secret keeping had been the conflict, right? No, I get that. We're difficult to please. That said, we like it when they're working together to solve a problem. Unless you count getting her out of London as the problem, there's no problem in this book that they're working together to overcome. They're just waiting out news of the Duke's death. Yeah. And I mean, the, the problem, as you put it, is that they haven't spoken. He thinks she's not going to want to give up her place in society to be with him. She thinks that he doesn't want her to be with him. Right. But I'm saying, like, Rupert and Daphne were trying to save her brother. Right. Right. There's no real conflict between them, but there's a real conflict in the text. Right. This book has no conflict not in that sense no great you are not incorrect it was fun but it was hard to be really connected to it well that's why i said there's no plot you know that it's basically just a sequence of events and things that happen and even though i i really truly love this couple and when i think back on this book I think about how much I like them together. I don't feel any urgency to like reread it. Yeah. You know? Okay. In the, in our review of the queer principles of Kit Webb, you talked about how Marion seemed like she was acting kind of selfish and you wanted to figure out what was going on, like why she was acting that way. And I think we do get an explanation of it here, which is basically that she's been suffering from postpartum depression. Yeah. And I, look, don't get me wrong. I think it's important that we have these depictions in literature, also in romance novels, which can be so fantasy escapist that they don't address these kinds of issues. On the other hand, for me personally, it's not super compelling. Like, it's just not a topic or an issue that resonates with me a ton. Yeah. I still think Marion was pretty selfish. Mm-hmm. I think she and Rob are very compatible. I think they are selfish in similar ways. Well, I think it's interesting, too, because you could say that Rob is almost generous to a fault. Whereas Marion is selfish to a fault. 
right? And yeah. so he's giving, she's taking, but this is their compatibility, right? I still think he's more selfish than that. Like faking his death and letting his friends think he's dead. Even like he murdering people to spare Kit having to do it. Mm-hmm. Like it all feels very, I am taking this on and I am making these decisions and I am doing this for your own good. But I, 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 like, I still think it's a very selfish worldview, even if he is this very giving person. I think he and Marion both sort of don't think about the way the choices they make impact the people around them other yeah. than the way they convince themselves they're helping. That is not a bad observation. Thank you. No, I cannot disagree with that. But, I mean, I agree. I'm not interested in babies in general. Um, you know, I also think she has postpartum, but she also was forced to have a child she didn't want with a man she hated. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I she's mean, it's not, not just—it's not just postpartum depression. It's probably prepartum depression. You know. Right. Like she's in a really bad spot, and like she never has negative thoughts about the child. Like this isn't a book where like she resents the kid or anything. She loves, she loves her daughter, but yes, but she doesn't feel connected with her, which I, I do think is a pretty common, common symptom. symptom. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm not, I agree with you. It's just not something I'm that interested in. And frankly, I was maybe wrongly a little relieved that her emotional disconnect meant this did not become a baby centric book. Yeah. 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 Um, Okay, uh, I, there is a part of the book, so part of the, the place where she rents to when she leaves, um, when she flees London, is to um, an estate where her father is living. When it gets there, it comes out that she has been, she's the one paying for him to stay there. It was a place that they had lived in at, when she was growing up, so her fa- yeah. probably her father's happiest years of his life. And he's now suffering from dementia. So, for example, he doesn't recognize Marion when she goes to visit, right? Right. And she's made out to be, you know, I don't want to say a hero, but a very a caring person. She cares about her father's well-being. She doesn't want him to be put in a an asylum, which is the word that's used in the text, right? Mm-hmm. So she's decided, well, I'll rent this place for him and I'll get some servants. But when she shows up, this place is like dank, moldy, falling apart around their ears. There are two servants who are staying there because um, the rent went up and she hasn't been able to pay it, basically. And I was like, you know, I mean, maybe the asylum was really horrible, but like maybe you could go tour it. Just like maybe it would be good for him to have like round the clock care. I don't know. It's like maybe I'm being like a jerk here, but maybe a care home is the best place for him. I don't know. I think what I took from it was it was more supposed to be a reflection on how shitty her brother was. Yeah. Like if he were involved, unquestionably, what he would receive as an earl in terms of in home care would be better than a Georgian asylum. Uh, what I actually thought was interesting was how Kat Sebastian got around the issue of how do you have a parent who's sort of failed at parenting to the degree that his child is marrying someone horrible to save him mm-hmm. without hating that person. And the answer mm-hmm. is being mentally Dementia. incapacitated. Yeah. Like 
her father couldn't have asked for or even pressured her to think this was okay. He's in such mental decline mm-hmm. that she felt like this, and her brother has decided to be selfish and abandon their father and live as if he's already the Earl. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I, so it's funny, like, yeah, her father wasn't great with money, but it wouldn't have mattered if he was great with money if the brother wouldn't let him have access to it anyway. Right. I, I think it's interesting. I, I do think that this is something that could be applied to today, where, you know, two adult parents, two adult parents, two adult children are, are disagreeing about the care that their elderly parent should receive. So I do think this is something that people have to grapple with. Hopefully they're not in a moldy old home, you know. Yeah, I, I think I didn't think harder about it because a Georgian asylum is not the same thing as a retirement home. I mean, it's not. No, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like for the same money she's putting down to rent this house and pay the servants and everything, she could have gone to see a couple of places that were like, you know, maybe a step above the Georgian the asylum that her brother wanted to put the father in. I don't know. I don't know if those existed. I'm just saying. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, Lane. <laughs> I'm not criticizing people who make choices to enter into retirement homes themselves or recognize that elderly people in their care need a, more assistance than they can receive in their home. I'm not criticizing that. The books we have read about asylums in this period, they are horrible places. Yeah, but we read about basically two asylums, Bedlam and then the one that Miss Gray was in. <laughs> Aren't those the only two? The only two that existed in England. Well, and the one Nellie Bly investigated. Boom. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong that these asylums are bad, okay? I, I feel like, anyway, whatever. There, No, there was a good one in Six Impossible Things. Don't remember. Anyway. Okay. Uh, content warning. There's a lot of them. Yeah. <sighs> So I think the biggest one was that um, not only does she have PPD, when she was pregnant, she, she had a hyperemesis gravidarum. Mm-hmm. She almost died from having a child. FYI, did you know Charlotte Bronte died from that? Isn't that what Kate had? Yes. Yeah. It like, it is something that you can actually die from. Yeah. Um, and when she had a baby girl, her husband, the Duke, was like, yeah, I don't care. You have to get pregnant again. Even though the doctors were like, she's going to die. Yeah. So, you know, it, it wasn't just... She's obviously not enthusiastically consenting, even if she is consenting in the terms of, um, you know, the, the era, right? Right. You get the sense that she's now against, without her husband's knowledge, taking herbs to prevent pregnancy so that when he comes to her bed to try to force impregnation on her, she is preparing herself. But she also clearly doesn't enjoy penetrative sex. Right. Even beyond these issues. And it's extremely uncomfortable. And, like, remembers the way he had sex with her as rape. Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's on several levels. Like, he may kill her by impregnating her, but the very act of 
penetrative sex to try to get pregnant is also miserable for her and not something she's willingly consenting to. Right. But, and I mean, the, the text is not clear on whether this is something that she developed because she has uh, an aversion to pregnancy, for example. So it's not right. clear on that. So, but it, uh, it doesn't matter. No. Right. Um, we talked about the postpartum depression. We talked about a parent with dementia. Yeah, the only thing I'd add, like, look, this book is just a lot of trigger warnings. His mother runs a brothel. Like, there's a lot of layers here. His dad was obviously abusive. Like, um, but the one thing that there was a lot with her and her sexual hangups with Rob in bed where she would think of her husband and sort of freeze up. And that's the one thing that sort of can take me out of sexy scenes. Mm -hmm. Again, not saying it's inauthentic or, but. I don't really want to be reminded of the fact that her gross old husband was raping her when she's having sexy times in this book, what the hero I'm supposed to be all about. Yeah. Which is a great segue to sexiness. Yeah. Because I feel like there were, Cat Sebastian does a lot of really good things with the sex scenes in this book. Um, she, she shows the compatibility between the characters through the, their their sexual encounters with each other. Um, so the relationship develops there. The encounters themselves are important to the relationship development. So they start understanding each other better when they start having sex with each other. Yes. So these are things that are really good. And I also love the emphasis on consent. It's not just verbal consent. Like Rob also understands. He, Marion never says like, I don't want you to, she says, I don't want to have sex, mm -hmm. but he like goes to finger her one time and she, she's like, it's fine. And he's like, no, it's not fine. Like you're not into this, you know? Yeah. It's like, he's not, he's not an idiot. He figures it out. So yeah. I just think these depictions are really important and really good that we get these in romance novels. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the way they communicated about sex was sometimes sexier than the sex itself. Yes. I unfortunately just didn't find this book sexy. Like, I thought their conversations about sex were important. I thought the sex scenes were important to the novel and to their character development and to their relationship. When I was reading it, I, I wasn't feeling, like, sexy. Yeah, and I think, one, it's BDSM light. A little bit, yeah. It's, um, it's not... Um, it's not sadomasochism. There's no, okay, it's not sadomasochism, but there is a, uh, like, dom-sub relationship a little bit. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's light, emphasis on light. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, um, and they're both openly bisexual. Yes. And talk a lot about their shared history, and that's where I mean, like, a lot of the conversations they have about sex are really bonding, mm -hmm. but her embarrassing him to turn him on it's just not my thing yeah well and then also we've talked about this in different books and in different ways but i think we've we've basically said that if there are if someone's going to have an orgasm in a book we want it to be the woman a lot yeah and there were many times that she was they would have a sexual encounter but rob would have the orgasm because that's sort of what she gets off on but she didn't mm -hmm. actually get off. 
Right. Or if she did, it wasn't on the page. Right. Like his organism would be on the page and then it'd be like, and he returned the favor. Right. And it's like, okay. Can but he that, return the favor? <laughs> I want to see him return the favor. <laughs> but that's, I, that I think is coming from a female centric reader point of view. Yep. Which, to be fair, is like 85% of readers. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's like 50 50 for Cat Sebastian. I don't know. Who knows? It was, it was fun. It wasn't. Super memorable. I'm not going to go on the same rant I went on last time about how loose the Robin Hood stuff is. <laughs> same, sort of same qualms, same quibbles, same plot. But yep. a really good time, and Marion and Rob are very, very cute. Marion and Rob are a great couple. They're not couple goals because they're kind of chaotic. Right? <laughs> but... Yeah. They are. They were a very fun couple to read about, and I, I, one hundred percent believe that they should end up together and deserved each other. <laughs> and we had a little bit of a non-traditional happily ever after, more focused on found family than on a white dress and a baby. So, like, yay! Yeah, I liked it. And didn't you? Oh my god! There was this part. It was so great where. Uh, Kit was like, yeah, you know, don't you, don't you want to make sure that you take care of any kids you have? And Rob was like, kids are not in my future. Basically, because he's, he's like, I will do whatever Marion wants. And Marion doesn't want kids, so kids are not in my future. Yep. And it was it great. Was oh, my gosh. Like, there were, I, I, I just don't know what to say, because there were so many things I think were really good and, like, really important to see in romance novels. I wish I liked this novel more than I did. And that's not to say we didn't like it. Yeah, absolutely. Just, I want this to be like a new favorite read and something about the pacing and the plot and the dynamic between the two characters made it a really fun read, but I, I don't see myself going back to it. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can find us around the internet at Plattress, at Instagram, WordPress, Goodreads, all that good stuff. 